it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmead Show. I am pumped up to get started. We have a lot to discuss, including the total fiction we continue to get from the White House. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour to make sense of it. Uh, I know sometimes when you're in war and the Iraq War and uh, you know, and you, and you want things to be better, you can go, okay, wait a second, you know, we're having problems in Fallujah, but look at how good things are going in Baghdad. You know, we're having problems in Kabul, uh, but, you know, in Pakistan, where we worked out a deal with them, we can get our supply chains through. But I've never seen anything like it. I mean, you just pretend as if the reality of what you're seeing doesn't exist by saying the exact opposite. The exact opposite of the border. The exact opposite in Afghanistan was a great success. The exact uh, the border is closed. The last time it was disaster. The world is embracing us. China is not a threat. Really? I I can't believe what I'm saying. Uh, And then to wheel out James Taylor yesterday for a White House event. The last time we saw James Taylor at a Washington event, this uh, left-wing liberal who hasn't written a great song since the 70s. No doubt in his talent. I love hearing his music. But let's, let's be honest. He's not exactly relevant, but roll it out. When John Kerry wants to show France he's got a friend, he brings over James Taylor. What an insult to France. And now we bring out James Taylor to announce inflation's down when it's up, when the economy's sucking wind, and he acts like it's a big victory. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Have you talked about it with him? Not yet. We've been a little bit too busy. (laughs) Not yet, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a discussion. Look at all Joe has done. He has kept true to what he said he would do. Right. uh, Destroy the country. Dr. Jill Biden never comes up, honey. Uh, now that we're in Delaware, five of the seven days a week on coming off six weeks of vacation. Um, I don't know. What are you doing in 2024? Oh, I'm sorry. The phone's ringing. I got to get this. 2020, 50 plus days away. and The primaries are, co- are complete. Where is the red wave now? And what Jill Biden just said about her husband that just doesn't make sense. Number two. Uh, we're certainly uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. Are you nuts? Yes, the answer is. Corrine Jean-Pierre, flat out lying about the broken border, flat out lying about blaming Republicans. Press secretary really wants us to believe the border was bad before they fixed it. As Texas towns are overrun, as Tucson is, uh, as, as Arizona has, has unwelcomed 230,000 people, as families feel their safety and security threatened, as many illegals are bused from major city to major city, Biden says things are going great. Nope. Number one. With this law, the American people won and special interests lost. Say it again. The American people won. Yeah. When the prompter gets jammed, just repeat yourself. Clueless. The 
president takes a bow for an economy as his policies inflict pain on the people, from food to utilities to energy and inflation, killing the American family. And he wants us to be happy about it. Brings James Taylor to sing about it. Could not be more tone deaf. Sorry, James Taylor. Next time the White House calls and says, I need a favor, uh, I don't know, give him Jackson Brown or Pink Floyd or somebody else who was relevant in the 70s. Maybe more Pink Floyd more in the 80s. That was the last big album. So before it was officially announced, they made an official party to announce the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't increase inflation, increase our dependence on green energy, windmills and solar panels that are not ready to warm our country. They're not ready to cool our country, but we are inflicting ourselves with this while China builds coal plants. And we have most of the coal. We got the oil, but we don't want to use it. We want to make it impossible to be successful in implementing it. So when it becomes clear that inflation is at 8.3%, at the cost of uh, the core core inflation is at 6%, when gas prices are low but utilities are high, when the average price of everything continues to rise – you're having an event to herald the health of the economy, but nobody feels it. And, and here's why. Eggs are up 39%. Coffee's up 17%. Milk's up 18%. Fish up 8%. Fruits and vegetables up 9%. Meat up 6%. If I go shopping and I get one of those items, things have doubled or tripled. And the president wants to say he, we're exactly where he wants to be? That's an insult, and it's scary if he means it. Food prices overall up 13%. Year to year, inflation up 8.3%. It's down from 9%, but 8.3% is seven points higher than the economy that he had. And we were coming out of the pandemic. Here's the oblivious president. Cut one. The stock market doesn't necessarily reflect the state of the economy, as you well know. And the economy is still strong. Unemployment's low. Jobs are up. Manufacturing's good. So I think it's... Uh, I think we're going to be fine. Are you worried about the inflation number, though, sir? No, I'm not, because we're talking about one-tenth of one percent. And, you know, anyway. Hmm. Have you ever heard anything like that in your life? So inflation remains high. Electricity up 13%, I should add. Used car up 8%. Medical services going through the roof. His statement on consumer prices, today's data shows more progress in bringing global inflation down in the U.S. economy. What are you talking about? Jason Furman, the former Obama economic advisor, tweets this out. My interpretation, a lot of things that were supposed to bring down inflation have happened. To the degree energy prices passed into core, we should see the reverse now. I was and am skeptical of the magnitude. Labor force returning, goods prices moderating. But they're moderating at a high level. Senator John Thune cut 10. This is an example, again, of just the complete um, split screen you see in this country between the White House, uh, you know, celebrating, taking the victory lap down there this afternoon, and the American people dealing with the reality left by the policies of this administration who still don't get it. They continue to celebrate the tax increases, the amount of spending they're doing, and inflation continues to choke the American people. Well, look, the market's up slightly now. It dropped a lot the It had the biggest drop from 2020 when the pandemic shut down the economy, when we did it voluntarily. And for John Thune to say that, that is like John McEnroe screaming full voice at an umpire in tennis. That he never gets emotional. He's stoic. And he can't believe what he's witnessing. Larry Kudlow, who's seen it all, lived it all, cut 12. The inflation report shocked Wall Street, but it shocked the whole country. So... 
for them to put on some kind of celebratory uh, concert with James Taylor or whoever is really a slap in the face and the back of the hand to typical working folks who are getting clobbered by this inflation. And inflation is going to be the number one issue in this election, as it must be. And, Laura, you know, you're exactly right. Typical family income has declined under Biden after it was soaring under Trump, beating the prior uh, several presidents. Okay. Uh, Larry, right on the money. So we saw the rescue plan. Just about everyone admitted it adds to inflation. We didn't need it. But you want to get your agenda across. The vaccine, if you get vaccinated, don't have to worry about this. Uh, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Then we find out, as much as I'm pleased by the, the vaccine, the progress it made, it is not effective against these variants and should never have been mandated. And so the economy, again, gets infusion with more pandemic money as it starts to bottom out. The president's trying to get Bill back better. Sadly, he doesn't. Uh, thankfully, he doesn't get it. But suddenly, Joe Manchin gives in and says, I can do it as long as you promise all these fossil fuel provisions, including permitting to ease up, including to carbon capture to allow coal plants to continue, and some other nuances the pi- and continuing of certain pipelines that really affect more West Virginia. But it's okay if you act in your own interest. Because, I listen, I have a debt of gratitude to Joe Manchin for standing up against packing the courts, blowing up the filibuster, and passing the mammoth bill back better on a pure credit card. But why he gave in makes no sense. Why he gave in to a deal that only Chuck Schumer verbally agreed to without getting Bernie Sanders on board or Nancy Pelosi to get commitments from her caucus. So with these fossil fuel provisions, it's a separate paper. Why? Because it's nothing to do with finances. They can't pass on a simply party line vote. You have to, if you want to do reconciliation, which is simply majority, you need to be, it needs to be fiscal. It needs to be financial. There's nothing financial about this. So he says, I'm going to do a separate paper for you, Joe, and we're going to pass it for you if you sign on to this other stuff. We'll do it in September. Well, it turns out 70 members, Democratic members of the House go, yeah, I'm not into this. Bernie Sanders goes, I never agreed to this. And Chuck Schumer's let him out to dry. So appearing with Brett Baer last night is Joe Manchin, defending what he did, but no one's buying it, especially because He doesn't have any guarantees, and now he needs Republicans to bail him out. Cut eight. We have to have 60 in the the Senate. We only have 50 Democrats. Now, Bernie's not going to vote for it any way, shape, or form. So if we have 45 or 49 Democrats, don't you think there will be at least 15 or more of Republicans? It's the only thing that we have ever done that has a chance to really fight inflation. I hope Democrats and Republicans will come to their senses, Brad. I really do. And it was just incredible because this guy stood up to his entire party and all the pundits, all these people on kayaks harassing him. They're jumping on his car. And then out of nowhere, he goes, I'll do this agreement. And I never thought it made any sense. Well, being cognizant, I think he's a good guy and I think he's did some good things. But this deal makes no sense even in it, if he gets it passed. And now he's got to go ask Republicans for a favor. Mitch McConnell's not doing that for him. Bernie Sanders clearly not there. Now he knows it. So why didn't Chuck Schumer demand that Bernie Sanders pass it? Why doesn't he demand that he get 10 votes in the Senate from Cassidy on down? Here's Jim Jordan, cut 11. 
I mean, how tone deaf can the Democrats be? The day they get terrible inflation numbers, the market drops over a thousand points. What do they do? Invite James Taylor to the White House for a pep rally. This is crazy. Kellyanne's exactly right. American voters, American people, American families have common sense. They know what's going on. There's a reason why so many people think Joe Biden's doing a bad job. It's because he is, and they're going to show up, I think, in a big way in 56 days and change who runs the government. Please. All I can tell you is, if you're allowed to break the border, let 1.9 million in a year illegally, if you're allowed to let crime run rampant in all these major cities, only respond to it when you realize your numbers are cratering, allow cops to run for the hills, not push them to join the academy, Uh, go ahead and throw out members of the military, even though recruitment is down on every branch because they're not vaccinated. A vaccine that doesn't respond to any variants, either healthy men and women in the prime of their lives, they have almost no danger of dying or being injured from this pandemic. And now you're kicking tens of thousands out. If you allow that to happen, we are doomed for the next two years. And I'm not even one. I'm even wondering what's going to happen in the next two years. You have to have standards. Look at the border. The border is an absolute travesty. But the White House claims that Biden is taking unprecedented action at the border. He admits that 30 percent of migrants didn't report after 30 days like they were supposed to. That number is probably even higher. So if you come across uh, from Venezuela, hi, how you doing? I like to be processed through. Okay, go to Catholic Charities. Get yourself a phone. Get yourself a fresh set of clothes. Stay in the bed for a couple of days. Get some medicine. We got it. Taxpayer dollars. And then here's a bracelet. Come back in 30 days. Oh, you're not showing up in 30 days. I'm never going to see you again? Oh, that's too bad. You beat the system. Karine Jean-Pierre claimed Tuesday that Biden administration has taken unprecedented action. Yeah, uh, unprecedented un- inaction. The DHS personal partner agencies of the border implemented uh, a manual on ad hoc workarounds to process migrants apprehended illegally entering the U.S., the illegal workarounds are let them all in. You defanged and defunded ICE. You told the Border Patrol you're overwhelmed, you won't be replenished. The only time you cared about the border was when you thought uh, men on horseback were, uh, were abusing Haitian illegal immigrants. The cost of the failed policies of illegal immigrants who went to the U.S. since Biden took office is about $20 billion a year. You think we could use that $20 billion? The number of illegals who enter the U.S. is astronomical. I look at what's happening in Arizona because everyone focuses on Texas. These numbers are insane. Last month, 376,000 migrant encounters in Eagle Pass in Texas. When it comes to the Rio Grande Valley, the numbers are also uh, through the roof. Now, when it comes to those people who are in uh, Arizona— or New Mexico, we don't hear about. But in Yuma, Arizona, they've been bearing the brunt of the mass influx of migrants, according to the U.S. Daily Reports. Thanks to gaps in the border fence that we paid for, they have lured 250,000 people to a town of 100,000. Officials now have been left with a $20 million medical bill for treating migrants since January. Locals are complaining about being shot, being shot at by cartel traffickers, and the cities experience a drop in tourism. No kidding. I don't, honey, let's go to Yuma and, duck, and dodge the bullets. Yuma has become the origin for the many of the migrant buses heading to Washington, D.C., New York, and Chicago. If you are Senator Kelly, how dare you even try to get another six years when you have been counted on as a military man who flies into space, done incredible things in your life? Can you just walk to your border and demand some repercussions for the people 
breaking down our system. When we come back, I'll take your calls on this, one 408 And there's been a verdict in New Hampshire from the Republican side on the Senate seat there. And I'll tell you what, Democrats will be happy. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. If they think that this is going to give them an upper hand in winning a seat, that's the argument the Democrats are making. But I think they are playing with fire in a year where Republicans are so favored. I mean, this is, I I think it's also the case that you have a lot of Democrats that have a very... They, they view taking out Republicans as this moral imperative, right, that Republicans are this threat to democracy. And yet, if you are doing things to help get Republicans elected, uh, at least in a primary, who hold these contrary views, I don't think you get to have that kind of uh, moral self, moral self, self-righteous. Yeah, that, that, I, look, I, I get it. Politics <laughs> is tough. You want to win. You want to do what it takes to, to get your candidate ahead. But I, I think they're playing with fire. And that's Kristen Soltis-Anderson on CNN talking about promoting MAGA candidates, one just one. Don Bullock put about $400,000 into his New Hampshire campaign. He has won the Republican nominee uh, nomination uh, to go against Maggie Hassan, one of the most vulnerable Democrats uh, in the country for their Senate seat, and flipped that seat. Bullock had called. I, I've met him. He's, he's a good guy. Uh, but he called... Governor Sununu, an agent of China, really? Governor Sununu, probably one of the most popular, and the family, one of the most popular figures in New Hampshire. And he just, uh, he's going to run away with his reelection. It'll be his third term. Not the way, not a politically savvy thing to do. Now, uh, Sununu was going for Morse. Morse uh, lost by about a point or two. So Bolduc, bolstered by the Democrats, will be the nominee because they look as most vulnerable. If you truly are in danger, if worry about the country and ultra MAGA and the MAGA ones, this guy would actually take a bullet for Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump did not endorse General Bolduc. He is going to get the nomination. I think it's going to be a lot worse than the polls indicate. Here is J.D. Vance on making sure that Tim Ryan doesn't get the Ohio seat. Cut 26. This is a guy who, when he runs his scripted TV commercials, says that he wants to appeal to Trump voters. He wants to appeal to the entire state of Ohio. And yet when he's unscripted, Sean, he's saying that we need to confront and kill the entire movement. A majority of, of, of the people of Ohio, of course, voted for that movement in 2016 and 2020. So he's just a complete fraud on every single issue. He has voted with Joe Biden, and yet he pretends in his TV commercials that he actually thinks exactly the opposite. Yeah, uh, that is true. Uh, that's what makes it tough to run against him, though. If he pretends to be a Republican and says Democrats are toxic and I don't want to, I don't want to run with the president, you got to go out and say, "Listen, why'd you vote for him every single time? Why'd you scream about Republicans for the last six years?" That's Tim Ryan.
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, nothing's more of a driving and an uh, excitement factor like Donald Trump for Democrats, right? I mean, they love to be opposed to him because they are um, independents. Many are, don't want to see another reign of Trump. And uh, the more he engages in the race, the more he puts himself out there, the more it's a reminder of what's at stake to people. And having Trump on the ballot is a hugely energizing factor in a lot of these races. Jen Psaki now working for MSNBC, uh, making it clear the Democratic plan is now transparent. We all knew it. When you put $19 million into uh, Donald Trump-sanctioned candidates or affiliated candidates or people that he likes across eight states and then say you fear for our democracy if they win, I have news for you. A lot of them are going to win. So you can't have it both ways. Or can you? Rich Lowry joins us now from the National Review. Hey, Rich, Jen Psaki weighing in. No secret, they want Trump involved. Yeah. So there's this, this election analyst at the New York Times named Nate Cohn, is a pretty sharp guy, and he had a piece yesterday, the day before, on why this midterm might be different. I, I don't, I don't totally buy this, but th- this is a plausible theory. One, because midterms are usually they're a referendum on the incumbent. But if you have Trump in the picture, it's a, you know a little more of a choice, not not a referendum. And two, the midterm reactions are usually based on the other side doing something big, you know, that, that uh, is, is hateful to the other side. But the big thing that's happened, you know, last three or four months is, is Roe being overturned, which is, is something, you know, a conservative victory, which is, which is unusual. So that may account to, for how this, this thing is looking a little closer than I would have thought three or four months ago. I still think, you know, even if it's just a normal midterm, Republicans, you know, they're picking up 20, 25 House seats and, and they're winning the Senate. It's just it's just not going to be, you know, a 1994 style blowout. At least that's not what it looks like at the moment. Right. So first off, I want to clarify. It looks like Morse has uh, in New Hampshire conceded uh, via Twitter, but it, it, it's still not called by the AP, Don Bolduck in New Hampshire. Now, it looks like uh, Mitch McConnell's pack was going to put about $25 million to make sure that Bulldog won because Hassan's so vulnerable. But they didn't want Bulldog. Now, excuse me, mm-hmm. Morse won. Uh, and he, whoever was the emergent uh, would get that $25 million. But they didn't want Bulldog. Are they going to walk away from uh, the general uh, if, uh, like they did Mastriano, it seems, or like they did with Cox in Maryland? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. It's... Um you know, I, I think the the standard for walking away has to be really high. You know, um, just because you, you need these you need these seats, um, and a, 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 one Senate seat can make an enormous difference. You know, Democrats had two more senators; the filibuster would be gone, and they would have passed you know a half dozen like country changing initiatives. So it, it's just just hard to throw away these these seats, even if you don't like the. The candidate. I hope they realize that. Uh, but how, how do you feel about? And I know you've seen it all, and I know you've taken this question on the Sunday shows. But you cannot take Joe Biden for his word to say I fear for democracy. At the same time, his party it puts nineteen million in across eight states to make sure. You know, Matt. I, I think the Bulldog had three hundred thousand dollars. He got like three point five million yep. for Democrats. 
Yep, they've done it again and again. And Kamala Harris was on Meet the Press last weekend, and she started with the whole threat to democracy thing. And then Chuck Todd was, well, so, so then do you think it's a mistake for your for party to boost these candidates who are a threat to our, our system? Supposedly, she's like, ah, I'm not going to tell anyone how to run run our campaign. And then he asked, well, would you do it? And then she says again, ah, I'm not going to tell anyone how to run their campaign. So it's obviously so cynical and hypocritical. And it's this is just one of a half a dozen ways. they If, if they really took the threat to democracy uh, seriously, They'd be doing many, many things differently, right? They'd be moderating their entire program entirely to try to get more moderate Republicans supporting them to stop these candidates who are a threat. They'd work out a deal on the Electoral Count Act, you know, right now. But none of that's happening, you know, and they're just using it as a talking point, a fundraising initiative, and and a way to boost all the same stuff they've wanted to do for 50 years. It's the same tired left-wing agenda. Rich, which is just so amazing yesterday to see yesterday afternoon with James Taylor singing uh, in a celebration of the Inflation Reduction Act. We watched the market crater <laughs> over 1,200 points. Inflation come in at 8.3%. Uh, the prices across the board and everything, especially utilities, underappreciated, doubling people's uh, the amount they're paying for air conditioning is soon for uh, e- uh, for uh, for heating and refrigeration, and yet they want to celebrate. Here's Joe Biden. Cut to. With this law, the American people won and special interests lost. Say it again. The American people won and special interests lost. Folks, we're going to lower prescription drug costs, lower health insurance costs, lower energy costs for millions of families. I'm going to take the most aggressive action ever, ever, ever to confront the climate crisis and increase our energy security ever in the whole world. Right. Uh, Mr. Celebration, high five. This is something where I said if, if this was my thing and it turns out that the reason I was having a party was the exact uh, is a reason I shouldn't be having the party. I would just fake a covid test. I would say I'm just concerned about rain, whatever it takes. But now. You have people on both sides of the aisle saying, what are you thinking? Rich, yeah, well, what is he thinking? Yeah, you know, why, why do it, you know, the, the day of or day, day after an inflation report that you know might not be good? You know, do, do it a couple of days ahead so, so everyone's forgotten about your celebration if the number comes in bad. It's just a, another case of, of sheer incompetence. And obviously, th- this act has nothing to do with inflation reduction. They, they favored all these mu- measures prior to the onset of you know eight nine percent inflation, they'd favor them even if we didn't have eight and nine percent inflation, and it's just a title on the bill that's convenient. So it's it's uh, it's completely cynical. So Joe Manchin cuts this deal, or so it wouldn't have been possible. And in it, he's supposed to get all these fossil fuel provisions, including permitting, easing on permitting, uh, the pipeline, we'll call it, uh, carbon capture, allow more coal plants to stay open, whatever it was. The details are there, fossil fuels. But, hey, Joe, we got to do it in a separate letter. It'll be in September. Well, it turns out about 70 Democrats in the House are, are saying we're not doing this. Bernie Sanders, we're not doing this. Here's Joe Manchin. Uh, cut eight. We have to have 60 in, in, the, in the Senate. We only have 50 Democrats. Now, Bernie's not going to vote for it any way, shape, or form. So if we have 45 or 49 Democrats, don't you think there will be at least 15 or more of Republicans? It's the only thing that we have ever done that has a chance to really fight inflation. Well, I hope Democrats and Republicans will come to their senses, Brett. But I you're really need- do. What is he talking about? This should have been a done deal. Yeah, exactly. Chuck Schumer I mean- gave—Chuck Schumer just let him out to dry. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe Manchin is is not not the expert negotiator. If you don't get it in the, the bill that they desperately want to pass, so it looks like Schumer played him like a violin. So what happens from here? I mean, how does he even go home? Uh, he cut yeah, a deal, and he could get nothing. There's that poll that had him what 26 percent approval, 26 approval, 66 disapproval. So I think he retires and and gets some lucrative you know association or lobbying job. But I don't think he's getting elected senator from West Virginia anymore. And he, he's got this guy uh, Alex Mooney, um, very impressive, hardworking conservative congressman in uh, West Virginia who's looking at this race and will will be breathing down his his neck. And I, I just I don't see Manchin. I, I think he's got to go away. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a long few years. In the meantime, what else is he going to be blocking or able to block? And then you wonder if Manchin doesn't matter, if he's marginalized, him and Senator are marginalized, if, or for example, they flip Pennsylvania, if, for example, they flip Wisconsin, if, for example, they hold Georgia, um, and the Republicans can't find a way to upset in Washington and Colorado, this this could be problematic. I don't I don't think it's a 70 percent chance, like 538 says, that the Senate stays Democrat. What do you think? I, I, I tip it more than 50 percent re- Republican. Uh, I think Herschel Walker is going to win. I think Oz has a chance. I think Laxalt will probably win in Nevada. And, you know, if you have Ron Johnson, if all that happens and Ron Johnson holds Wisconsin, and it's not a guarantee, but um, he's held it before when people have, have counted him out, you know, th- then Republicans have enough to take the majority. But the nightmare scenario is all these close races at the end, and, and very often they kind of tip one way or the other. For whatever reason, they tip the wrong way. And if you get a 52-seat Democratic majority, everything will depend Everything. I mean, it has to this extent, but it'll be magnified by ten. What mm-hmm. Mansion and Cinema, whether Mansion and Cinema will hold out on the filibuster, and whether there's someone else who will hold out. Otherwise, it's Katie bar the door. That would just be a debacle. Right, but it's so short term because the odds are, if they don't, if the Senate doesn't flip now, it's going to flip in 2024. Mm-hmm. So, are you going to yeah. blow up the filibuster and get the Republicans have an open feel like that? Does anyone think about this? I, I think they they they, w- they would just do it. I think they would just do it. They 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 have such pent up frustration. You know, they think Obama was a moderate who didn't get enough done, and they think the same thing of of Biden. And they, they've really convinced themselves that filibuster is a racist relic. Even Biden, you know, is supposed to be an institutionalist, has come around to that view. So yeah, they 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 blow it up and just jam through as much as they could, and uh, t- take their medicine in 2024. So we're looking at millions of people. 1.9 have already crossed the border illegally. The fentanyl and all the other heroin and all these other illegal drugs are coming through in a way we never imagined that the cartels have taken over the border cities, especially over in Arizona, where people are dodging bullets on a daily basis. But listen to Green Jean-Pierre talk about the border. Cut 18. We've got Mexico uh, to agree to pay $1.5 billion uh, to improve border processing and security through smart, proven border management solutions. And the president brought 20 world leaders together to collectively manage uh, migration flows across Western Hemisphere. Compare that to the Trump administration, which largely just tried to build a wall, an ineffective wall, uh, along the border and couldn't even finish that in four years, uh, were certainly Uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. I mean, have you ever heard such (laughs) fiction in your life? 
It's an absurd lie. It's true that there was a time when the border under Trump was still uh, out of control, um, but then, then they implemented these creative policies, stay in Mexico um, uh, and uh, various kind of third third country protocols that, that solved it. And then, then they ripped it all up or minimized it all, and then we have this massive flow, and they want to blame Trump and say it's Trump's fault from only trying to build a wall and not, not building it, and they're doing more. I mean, it's, it's just Orwellian. And you know Kamala Harris on Meet the Press says the border is secure. I, you know, secure in the sense that maybe if the equivalent of the the 10th Mountain Division in Mexico tried to invade, yeah, we'd stop them at the border. But it's it's not secure against these migrants, you know. And they, they're inundating the border states, and then you know a trick, small trickles being sent to uh, blue blue cities, and you have those mayors say, oh my gosh, we can't control this. This is a crisis. We need more federal aid. So the whole thing is, uh, uh, it's amazing that they think they can get away with it. Um, and I guess that to some extent they do. There's not the press outrage there would be if a Republican administration would, would be doing this, but it's incredibly bad. Here is what Senator Joe Manchin said with Brett last night. Cut 16. She's dead wrong on that, and I have said this. If we don't secure it, I voted every time for the wall. But we need the wall and a lot more. Technology, more agents. The 2013 immigration bill was still the best piece of legislation, I think, that we've ever had before us. We couldn't get it passed. Uh, through the Republican House at that time because of some politics involved there and they, the amnesty people were you know, shouting the world amnesty. That piece of legislation would have corrected everything we have going wrong. But for anybody, the vice president, president, anybody to say that our borders are secured, that is not accurate. I've been there. It's wrong. And everybody on the Democratic Party knows it. So they mm-hmm. just ignore it. And the press secretary feels that she could say anything and not be called out for it. It's insane. Rich, what are you going to be writing about? Uh, Today, I might be writing about this. Um, I haven't written about the border in a while. It's really bad. People misunderstand, you know, what what Trump did. It was, as I say, it was very clever and imaginative, and it it worked, and it's it's being lied about. And if I don't write about that, I might write about your plaid tie, Brian, that that you're wearing Monday. That has really left, left an indelible impression on my mind this week. You are so jealous. And for you to lash I, I cannot, out I rather than salute. Like that. I wouldn't dare try. <laughs> what a memory. Good job, Rich. I know you would never say that to Chuck Todd or George <laughs> Stephanopoulos, but you could say it to me. I have, I'm, I have much uh, thicker skin. Rich Larry, thanks so much. This was your thanks, last friend. appearance. <laughs> Talk to you later. one 408 It's not your last appearance. I want your calls when we come back. Also urge you, if you want to see me in person, I got a special thanks to WG. Uh, uh, WGDJ up in Albany, New York, and Paul uh, uh, Vanberg, Vanderberg, and he's done a great job. Everybody in Albany that came out, chance to see in person, talk about the news. One of my first questions uh, when we opened up to the audience was about immigration and what they're even seeing in Albany, New York. And now there could be a change in Albany, New York, people who have just had it with the current regime and the current party. Uh, but everyone that came out, I appreciate it. If you want to join me in Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th, BrianKillMe.com. Same thing in Brandon, Mississippi. Uh, just reserve yourself some seats so I could see you in person. Brian Kill me. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Have you talked about it with him? Uh, Not yet. We've been a little bit too busy. (laughs) Not yet. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a discussion. 
Do you feel ready, you and President Biden, to, to hit a second presidential campaign? It has to be taxing. Well, you know, it is taxing, but, you know, look at the look at all Joe has done. He has kept true to what he said he would do. And uh, so I think he just needs to keep going. Really? But you're not sure if he's going to run again? Hmm. Why didn't you just say the party line? Yeah, of course he's going to run at the last minute. If you have to change, you change. But it's just so interesting that she had no answer. Stewart listening online in Orange County, California. Stewart. Hey, uh, Brian. Yes. I uh, so I, I just uh, had a quick thought on uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. The, uh, he just introduced a bill for a nationwide abortion ban uh, after 15 weeks. I have nothing against a bill like this, but to do it right now in the minutes before the midterm election, when polling has already shown it's not a popular mat, it's not a popular subject with independent voters. I'm just I, I, it boggles my mind, and I'm just like. Why, why is Senator Graham doing this? He's not up for re-election for 2020 till 2027. So who's, appe- who's he appealing to? Do you know what he's why? thinking? I can tell you what he's thinking. He says Republicans roll over the map on this. So if you're pro-life and you want zero weeks, you know, okay, fine. But you know that's not going to fly because politically that's not where your people are, where your state is, even though South Carolina wants to go down to zero. So having said that, he says, I have an idea. Let me give a pathway for other Republicans in places like Virginia and Pennsylvania uh, so they know, and and maybe Florida, so they know we're not looking for a total abortion ban. So he wanted to give everyone a, a threshold, which evidently the chief justice had. But what it did is give somebody else, everyone, something else to talk about except for the for the tone deaf party that they had at the. White House yesterday, but you're right. It's a little exasperating. I'm wondering about the timing. Mike, listening online in Glendora, California. Mike. Good morning, Brian. Still don't have you out here in California. We need you desperately. Listen, uh, I have a question that I don't think anybody's asked, and that is when are we going to present Hillary Clinton with a bill for $100 million for a scheme or, or a scandal that she started, she instigated, the DNC instigated, and there's no accountability here. If, if, we, if we present her with a $100 million bill, uh, you know, that that at least says, hey, you can't just do whatever you want to, against an opposing party and start and start using up United States resources on things like that. Give her a bill for one hundred million dollars and see what right. happens. All right. We'll see. I'm sure that with Hillary Clinton, uh, it'll make news. But I actually want to solve problems, but it would make news. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com or to the podcast and BrianKilmeade.com. If you want any of my books signed, sealed and delivered. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, they love me. They hate me. It all coming your way. I'm just so glad you listened to me. Uh, right now, that's uh, Ben Dominich is booked at the bottom of the hour. Daniel Bilak joins us. Uh, Bilak joins us uh, from Ukraine. He's the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine. He is the, a member of that and a former chief investment advisor to the prime minister. Man, some great news coming out of that country, and I am loving it for the rest of the West. But before we get to Dan, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Have you talked about it with him? 
Not yet. We've been a little bit too busy. <laughs> Not yet, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a discussion. Look at all Joe has done. He has kept true to what he said he would do. 2020, 50 plus days away and primaries are complete. Where is the red wave now? And what is Jill Biden talking about? Has not discussed re-election with the president, her husband? Really? Number two. Uh, We're certainly uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. Uh, (laughs) That that does not pass the laugh test, and I'm legitimately laughing. Republicans are are stopping progress at the border? That's a flat-out lie. The press secretary really wants us to believe it was worse under Trump. Family, safety, security, threatened. That is just in the border cities, let alone in your city. Number one. With this law, the American people won and special interests lost. Say it again. The American people won. Uh, You know how that ends. Clueless. The president takes a bow for an economy that is sucking wind, food, utility, energy prices, soaring, inflation, incredibly high, families feeling the strain. The president plans a party. No joke, Jack. Daniel uh, Bilak joins us now, uh, right from the Ukraine. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. Hey, good to be back, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we've had some weeks in which we've spoken and things are tough on the ground, you know, from the invasion on down. But man, I'm reading these stories and I feel great about what's happening. Uh, Ukraine has gained as as much as 3,000 square miles back in certain areas of the country. The Russians are in such a rush, they're throwing off their uniforms, dressing like civilians, leaving their equipment, leaving their tanks behind. What else can you tell us? Yeah, it's uh, it's been like, uh, you know, uh, Black Friday uh, shopping, I guess, uh, for, the, for the Ukrainian army in the last couple of days. Um, you know, uh, Brian, we talked about this last time when we when I was on the show about you know it's kind of calmed down and no, not enough action and and I said that one, once we started our counterattack, uh, we'd be back up in the new top of the news uh, hour and, and and that's what's happened. You know, the the Russians are, are they got a huge problem, Brian. Nobody wants to fight, and uh, you know they are their 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 weapons, their storage. We've been degrading it now for. You know, their supply lines, uh, ammo dumps, fuel dumps, we've been going after them probably for the last two months, preparing for this, both in uh, in uh, in Kherson in the south, but also uh, also in the east. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, uh, the American, American military has been right behind us. They helped us plan this, uh, you know, and, you know, we took advantage. We, we kind of fooled them. We, we talked about Kherson the whole time. And they got really anxious, so they took 10,000 troops and uh, moved them from the, the northeast down at Kinsuan and left an opening, and, and we exploited it. And, uh, and it was like a knife through butter. And that's not to say that this is, this is a long way from being over, right? And it's not to say that we're not going to encounter a stiffer resistance uh, down the road. But, you know, when, when something starts to collapse, we actually, we saw this in 1917. Russian army had 4 million men, and it just collapsed. They just stopped fighting. They said, we don't want to do this anymore you know we're fighting the ukrainians are fighting for for our lives for our very existence for our right to exist and the russians are fighting for money 
Um, you know, it's I, I can tell you which one's going to win. And they bring up some fiction, which is doesn't pass the laugh test about Nazis. Nazis are taking over Ukraine. We have no choice. We have to have this special operation. It's not even a war. He's afraid to have a draft because he'd lose the entire country. Word is he's used 80 percent of his force. Either they're in action or cycled through. And he doesn't have many more cards to play. A group of mayors evidently signed a petition to ask for Vladimir Putin to be removed from office. That takes great courage. Here's John Kirby uh, from the White House. Cut 36. I think what you're seeing is certainly um, a shift in momentum by, uh, by the Ukrainian armed forces, particularly in the north. Now, we've been talking about this uh, for quite some uh, days now, this long-planned counteroffensive. It's really two counteroffensives, Steve. We've got one in the north and one in the south. Uh, clearly, we've been watching uh, closely, and the, the events in the north are, uh, are more dramatic than what we've seen in the south. I would let President Zelensky determine and decide whether he feels uh, militarily they've reached a turning point. But clearly, uh, at least in the Donbass, the, the, there's a sense of momentum here by the Ukrainian armed forces. So how much further can you get without Elvis? I know you're not a military guy by, de- by training, Daniel, but how much further can you get without worrying about your own supply lines? Well, I think they've sort of taken a, a bit of a pause. They're still moving forward. They're probably they're cleaning up what they've got. I mean, you, we didn't expect to get this far, to be honest with you, in this short a period of time. And, uh, you know, we took advantage of it, but now we've got to clean it up. There's still pockets of resistance. We've got to demine uh, these places. Uh, we have to make it. We got to feed the people that we we liberated. They're 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 in really rough shape, Brian. I mean, uh, you know, they they've been basically been treated like slaves for the last six months, and uh, so you know, I, I think you'll see. Uh, you know, it seems to me anyway that you'll see a a bit of a pause, and then and then we'll just keep going. I mean, you know, we got them on the back foot. You, uh, you just got to keep uh, keep pressing. I mean, getting our supplies up and uh, and getting and repositioning some of our our uh, our equipment, a lot of it being American, and uh, I'll tell you, nothing like American made on the battlefield. And um, they, uh, you know, they, we'll we'll keep hammering them. They, they, we got them on the run. You just got to keep sowing panic, which which is infectious, you know. And you know, you they're 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 running like crazy, and and we got we we got to keep after them. So I, I, you know, I suspect, you know, if all goes well. Um, you know, we could we could take the Donbass. I'm not sure whether they're going to move contemporaneously and uh, simultaneously in the uh, in, in the Kherson, but certainly there's movement there, keeping them keeping the Russians guessing and busy all along the front line. I mean, there's like 1,200 miles of of, of of front line, and and so we you're right, we have to be careful. But you know, our guys are smart. They're very tactical. We've got we've got a fantastic army. We've got a fantastic armed forces. Closely coordinating with the uh, with the with the American Army, and um, you know uh, that that to me is a, is an absolutely uh, uh, you know uh, victorious uh, combination. So a couple of things. I understand grain is moving at a pretty good clip now, uh, so that deal seems to be holding. You can you can disabuse me of that if that I I can only go by what I hear and read. And number two is you guys have your own version of FedEx, and it's up to 90 percent capacity of where it was prior to the invasion. What other economically what other economic things can you do to try to to try to get everything uh, kickstarted again? Honestly, Brian, our biggest concern right now is our our infrastructure and our electricity grid. They, They came after it. I mean, Russia's a terrorist state, right? They can't win on the battlefield. 
So they're going to come after civilian targets, and they've been doing this the whole war. Um, you know, I really hope that the administration turns around and, and listens to Congress and declares Russia a state sponsor of terrorism because, you know, they, they, they absolutely— that, But what would that, that do? —consequences for them. What would that well, do? Well, it, 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 it kicks in secondary sanctions, so it means it, it squeezes Russia economically even more. Uh, it makes it tougher for companies to run around sanctions. And uh, and it means that it degrade uh, Putin's ability to, to 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 wage this war and future wars. But we really need what we need now more than anything else. I think even more than than more HIMARS is anti anti aircraft and anti rocket systems, which we don't have enough of. You know, we had 16 billion pledged that these Ramstein uh, defense uh, uh, procurement <coughs> uh, meetings, and we've only got half of that equipment delivered. And we really need to close. We, well, you know, who didn't the, deliver us, the, or is it, is it the other countries? Well, I, I think it's I think it's a combination, but mostly mostly all, most of the kit comes from the U.S. Right, and and so you know we, we we've got a lot of stuff, um, but we, we need we really need the anti aircraft and anti rocket systems desperately. Uh, otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna take out our electricity grids. You know, I've I've, I've gone from gas to a heat pump. Uh, I'm stocking up on wood for this winter. Um, you know, we're expecting it to be a very very cold winter for us because we're not gonna have a lot of heat. And they're gonna they're gonna come after our infrastructure. That's that's what these terrorists do. And and that's the biggest. You know, we we really need to drive them out of Kherson strategically. Kherson and Zaporizhia are the most important areas for us because that's our ports. We've got to have access to not just Odessa, but to Nikolaev and, and, and the other ports so that we can move our, move our grain out. We've moved some. We've moved 3.5 million tons uh, since the grain deal was struck. There's still 17 million tons from last year's harvest waiting to go out. And that's, a, that's like 50, 60 million people that aren't getting grain around the world. Daniel uh, Bilak, our, our guest, he's a member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine. Uh, Daniel can you give me an idea if um, the Russians want to talk? And if they were going to talk, would you, would you hold talks now, now that things are, the momentum's on your side? Well, the Russians want to talk, but their, 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 their proposal is you guys capitulate, here are our terms, you capitulate, and uh, we keep everything we've got, um, and then we'll discuss the rest, which, which is not going to happen, right, especially since, since we're, on the, we're on the front foot. So the negotiations right now have to take place on the battlefield. Um, our position, President Zelensky has been very, very clear on this, is uh, we'll talk when uh, the only thing that we can discuss with the Russians is a, is a ceasefire or some sort of a, uh, uh, a negotiated settlement once they've left all, all of our territory. Including Crimea. Everything. Everything. We... Uh, originally, uh, apparently, apparently, and uh, Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov made this public last week. He said at the beginning of the war, we were prepared to uh, to stop the war at at the February 23rd borders, which would have been included parts of the Donbas and Crimea, and and have a discussion around that. Now, now there's no way. They've slaughtered too many people. They raped too many children. Um, you know, they bombed too many cities. Ninety-eight percent of Ukrainians, ninety-eight percent, Brian, uh, don't want this war to end until every single Russian is is off our land. 
and and then we can talk about some mm-hmm. sort of arrangement how we're going to live together for the future. Uh, uh, Daniel, uh, the if, other if, the other thing is, is to keep future. in mind too. They want to look at Crimea. I've never been there, but I hear it's unbelievably nice. They wanted it to be a resort town. The minute it's no longer pleasurable to be there, the Russians are going to leave. Uh, have you made it uh, after the nine jets mysteriously blew up on the tarmac? Have you have, is there operations in place or perhaps in the works? to infiltrate behind enemy lines and start making Crimea a little less hospitable? It's already started. It's already started. Those, those, those bomb attacks apparently weren't rockets. They were, they were, they were some sort of combination. And uh, you're seeing more. Now they're arresting people in Crimea for listening to Ukrainian music. So the, le- the, the, the level of paranoia is, is rocketing. People, all the families have left. People have been in you know, huge lines across Crimea to get to the Kerch Bridge, to get them back to Russia. I mean, frankly, I mean, it's a nice place to, to, to hang out on the beach, but the Russians want Crimea to project force. If they control, they want it as, a, as their primary military base in the Black Sea, because then they can threaten NATO countries like Romania, Bulgaria, and, uh, 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 and Turkey even. So they basically, if they have a, keep their base in Sevastopol uh, in Crimea, it means that the Black Sea becomes a Russian lake. And uh, that's something the Western Alliance and the, and the international community right. can't allow. These are international waters, and, and, and partly Ukrainian waters. Daniel, I, I know you know that President Xi and President Vladimir Putin are going to meet. Uh, what is your main worry about this alliance at this point? They could provide weapons. They could provide money. Uh, we know they're buying their oil at a discount rate. What concerns you here? What do you think will happen? I'm to be honest with you, I'm less concerned now than I was before. I, I think she is really hedging his bets. This is not going the way he expected. It's not going the way he was told it was going to go. Um, China has a lot more to lose from sanctions being placed on it by the United States uh, than Russia does, because China's economy is much more integrated into the world economy. They've played a very, very careful game, Brian, um, if you look at it for the last six months. Um, they haven't been all in on helping the Russians. The fact that the Russians are buying equipment from North Korea uh, gives you an idea of how, how desperate uh, uh, they are. And if the Chinese were all in, they'd be just shipping this stuff across Russia, which does not seem to be the case. I mean, America sees everything, and, and this, is, this has not been the case. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about that. But I would just like to just like to say one thing, Brian. That I, I really want to thank the American people, your listeners, um, because uh, more than anything else, more than anything that's kept the government's foot to the uh, foot to the flame and feet to the fire, uh, has been the support that we've had from the American people. I mean, it's been over seventy yeah. percent across the country, and that's 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 hard for any country to muster that level of support on one issue. And we just got. I just hope that everybody stays in the game because you know we're in it to win it, and and this will be America's victory as well. All right, and Daniel, the thing is, you guys fight. So if we give you the uh, we give you the intelligence, give you the weapons, uh, you'll win. And I think the American people see that. They also remember World War II, and they know if Ukraine falls, down goes Georgia, down goes Moldova, the Baltic's going to be infiltrated, and who knows what kind of uh, who knows what kind of. Uh, 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 sway they'll have over the rest of Eastern Europe. So you guys stop it there, and we could stop them for decades. Daniel uh, Bilak, uh, Bilak, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Take care. God bless. Uh, back at you. one 408 7669 Some good news, finally. Don't move. Learning something new every day. 
on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's go out uh, to the phones. In a matter of moments, we'll bring in Ben Dominich. But let's go to Hank in Virginia. Hey, Hank. Hey, guys. How you doing out there? What's Brian? on your mind? Well, what's on my mind is that now Germany's kind of trying to stall about sending the tanks over. And, you know, uh, our administration seemed like a, a day late and a dollar short when this whole thing started, if they would have got in there earlier. So now you got the Russians on the run. Why doesn't our administration kind of push Germany, send in the tanks? We have a new prime minister in, in uh, Great Britain. And, and, and right now, when, when, the, when the tide is turning, push them out before the winter gets here. Hank, so I hear I, you. Hank, I, I, I so understand you. A lot of people don't agree with us on this. But push our allies. Push back on India. Hey, guys, stop buying the discount oil. You're single-handedly killing people in the Ukraine and throughout the West. You're jeopardizing alliances with us if you go to this dying regime. Instead, they're buying all the discount oil because they're afraid of losing Russia as an ally. But they don't have to do it to this degree. They should be getting American pressure. Number two, Germany is not coming across with the weaponry they promised. They're right there. Turn it around, pressure them, go public with it, and go for complete victory. And actually save their bots in years to come in doing so. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come back, Ben Dominic from uh, The Spectator, uh, host of the Ben Dominic Podcast. He'll be with us. Uh, don't move. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Passing this law wasn't easy. I proposed as soon as I got here, basically. And I've said that day that I determined, I was determined to work with Republicans. And I've done that on historic laws like the infrastructure law. Republicans came across the aisle and they worked with us. In fact, I think it's fair to say we've achieved more bipartisan agreement in these nearly two years in my presidency than anyone thought was even remotely possible when I entered office. Well, you got bipartisan guns. You got bipartisan, uh, to a degree, gun legislation. I think it was reasonable. Many Republicans don't. And then on the infrastructure bill, you got that. But it was passed purely through the Senate. It was not through your orchestration. It was really not even through your plan. In fact, you almost blew up infrastructure by saying, I won't pass one without Bill Back Better. Remember that. And the gun thing was done while you were condemning Republicans for allowing guns to be in America. At the same time, behind the scenes, they worked out a limited, uh, a limited gun reform. And then the rest was just jammed down everyone's throat outside the chips bill, which got some Republican support, too. And many people feel like they were duped. Regardless, what he's done since, what he's done with the rescue plan, what he's done with the mini bill back better, uh, has done nothing but make our economy suck wind. But yet he celebrated yesterday. Ben Dominic, you have to suspend disbelief to understand what was going on yesterday. These were horrible numbers for the economy. And yet the president wanted everyone to sing with James Taylor about it. <laughs> you know, Brian, I mean, it was just a surreal scene. And the the White House really did, I think, you know, uh, run into uh, the reality of uh, the how bad the economy is really performing in so many different ways. To have the kind of numbers come out that they did to see what happened at the stock market yesterday and have this celebratory White House event, which included 
bizarrely uh, uh, James Taylor. I, I mean, I just don't actually – I don't know what – uh, press staffer looked around the office and said, uh, you know what would be really good for us to do? Let's get James Taylor. He's, he's really going to, he's really going to make things better. Uh, and uh, so th- when, when it came to, uh, you know, time to kind of spin this whole thing, it just seemed very desperate. It seemed very partisan. It seemed like a, uh, you know, the kind of event uh, that is just designed to, uh, to put spin on something that can't easily be spun about how badly things really are in America. And, you know, the, the fact is that this is the point where people start really paying attention to the midterm races and to I think so. all the different decisions that they, they're going to have to make. Uh, and the timing could not be worse for this White House. It could not be worse for Democrats. Uh, and, you know, at the same time that this is going on, I got to tell you, Brian, I, I talked yesterday to a very prominent uh, consultant who's uh, involved in a, a lot of these different Republican races, and the, there is more confidence on their side about taking back the Senate than they've had in months. They really feel like the wind is at their back in a lot of in a lot of different respects. Uh, that Democrats have gotten as much out of perhaps the the Dobbs decision and the energy that it uh, generated among uh, pro-abortion uh, voters and the like. Uh, and I think that really they feel that they're going to have the odds in their favor in November to take back the Senate. Uh, and once that happens, I think that you will see, you know, the Biden agenda really will just run into a brick wall. They're not going to be able to get anything done after November. And the idea that he's going to be able to work across party lines is just delusional. It is. Uh, here's President Biden really revealing that the deficit, redu- the inflation reduction bill was never that at all, even though he's claiming it still is cut for. And this legislation is going to help us triple wind power, unleash American manufacturing to own the global market on electric vehicles. We're going to fight the environmental justice for environmental justice and create clean energy jobs and apprenticeships in frontline, fence line communities that have been smothered by the legacy pollution. Really? Uh, we're, we're killing for oil and gas right now. Uh, we have depleted our reserves and he's telling a windmill is on its way. Yeah, it's it's absolutely absurd, and it's and it's indicative of how little of this package uh, had anything to do with economic priorities and with what people actually need when it comes to uh, inflation and so many other respects. This was a grab bag of climate uh, addressing uh, subsidies and uh, you know the kind of regulatory policies uh, that healthcare. Democrats have wanted for ages. Uh, it's healthcare and prescription drugs uh, and the like. It has nothing to do with trying to get the economy working again. And frankly, you know, this is a a president who I think just doesn't know uh, how to do this kind of thing, and is getting so led around by the by the left flank of his party uh, when it comes to the policy agenda that he is pushing forward uh, that he maybe doesn't even know that this is the the kind of thing that uh, you know people don't want. They want uh, to have uh, confidence uh, in the power of the dollar. They want to see the prices uh, for energy and for. Uh, rent and everything else that they're uh, seeing go down. They want to see food prices go down. They don't want uh, to have, you know, the the promise of we're going to, you know, uh, just shift things around in order to try to boost people for buying electric vehicles. That's not what they care about right now. Uh, and yet this White House seems to just be 
so uh, stuck on this approach to policy uh, that they're not considering any of the other voices in the room. And a president who is unwilling to triangulate, uh, as we saw Bill Clinton do in the past, uh, with uh, with the reality of of the yeah. Republican bipartisan agenda that he would need to do in order to have that kind of success. And, and let's be honest, Ben, that's what he did. He realized I lost the majority in the, in the uh, House, so he starts – Coming up with the Republican mm-hmm. policies, Dick Morris led it, and he got credit for it. He coasted to a re-election against Bob Dole. It drives some Republicans crazy. But in the end, the country was better off. The deficit was actually going down. I always play the State of the Union address where he said our deficit zero, and it was. Mm-hmm. And everyone mm-hmm. deserved credit, and Clinton uh, got the acclaim. He left a popular president after the worst sex scandal that we'll ever see, uh, hopefully, a chief executive have. The other su- subplot is what's going on with Joe Manchin. So Joe Manchin gets a handshake deal with Chuck Schumer to do a deal when it comes to fossil fuels, carbon capture when it comes to coal, as well as pipeline, uh, as well as uh, uh, permitting uh, reform. And it turns out he does that. They do not have the, the Democrats are not going along with it in the House. Bernie Sanders not in the yep. Senate. And the Republicans don't want to play, uh, play ball in the Senate. Listen to him almost beg yesterday with Brett, cut eight. We have to have 60 in, in, the, in the Senate. We only have 50 Democrats. Now, Bernie's not going to vote for it any way, shape, or form. So if we have 45 or 49 Democrats, don't you think there will be at least 15 or more of Republicans? It's the only thing that we have ever done that has a chance to really fight inflation. Well, I hope Democrats and Republicans will come to their senses, Brett. But I you're really need- do. What are your thoughts on this? You've seen a lot of political games before. Is Joe Manchin left out in the cold alone? Yes, he is. And he is because Republicans really don't want to deal with him anymore. They're fed up with him. They, they feel betrayed by him uh, in a certain respects uh, in, in terms of his approach. Now, I'll say, I think from Joe Manchin's perspective, uh, you know, he could make a strong case that, you know, hey, I was just I'm looking out for my own state and I want to do this thing now that's good for the country. You know, come along and then go with me. But Republicans, you know, this is an election year and Republicans are not going to go along with giving Democrats a win effectively, at the, you know, in even a Democrat like Joe Manchin, uh, after all the different things that they've had to put up with over the course of the past year and a half. Uh, they do not want to uh, to add uh, to uh, any kind of in any way uh, aid and abet uh, the other side at this moment. And I think that this is this, a situation where you know, look, the Joe Manchin has survived in West Virginia for a very long time, uh, being able to navigate uh, wins that, uh, you know, really were against him. Uh, you would not think that he would be able to win reelection in a state as red as West Virginia. But I think that his time is coming to an end. I think that the Republicans really are, you know, fed up after some of, of the different dealings that he's done. And I think that they're going to target him in a very big way uh, if he decides, uh, you know, to sign from now to run for for re-election, uh, and I think that there will be a, a real Republican effort uh, to push him out because that seat should be a Republican seat. And if it was a Republican seat, you wouldn't see things go the way that they have over the past month. Well, that's uh, true, that's but you but you can't discount the fact that he did not pack the court. You can't discount the fact that the major Build Back Better was stopped in its tracks, really by him. Of course. So no, no, it's 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 fair, and I think that you know if you're on his side of the argument, I think you can t- certainly make that argument. But I think Republicans in the Senate, go get uh, the seat. Have, you know, they've yeah. reached their they've reached kind of their limit on it, uh, and I, I don't think that they're going to work with them on this. Let's uh, let's take a look at this on the border, Ben Dominic. I want you to hear what Karine Jean Pierre said. Uh, cut seventeen. 
Over the weekend, the vice president said that the border is secure, but we're on track to close the fiscal year with two million encounters, breaking last year's record. Last month, in the last month alone, fentanyl seizures are up 200 uh, percent, and we're on pace to break that record also this year. So, how is the border secure? So. Uh we see record seizures of, uh, of fentanyl uh, at the border, so we're actually catching uh, fentanyl before it enters the country. So that's how uh, we see that. Look, uh, as far as the border, we're taking unprecedented action. Unprecedented means lack of action. She went on to say that it was broken. They're doing a much better job. All, all Trump did was build a wall, and he couldn't get it done in four years. I've never, I mean, they want you to believe the economy's healthy yesterday and the border's secure today and Donald Trump broke it? What? The amount, the amount of gaslighting and wish casting that is going on in Washington right now, Brian, uh, just uh, will amaze you. I mean, they just pretend as if things are okay that clearly aren't. And, you know, look, when you're, think about it this way. When you are trying to spin that, you know, catching all of this fentanyl or, or having this many encounters is a good thing, what you are obviously saying is the numbers are up so high that we are able to get this much. Think about all the people that, that they're letting through. Think about all the drugs that they're letting through. This is, you know, indicative of the fact that they do not have the resources necessary in order to have the kind of security that Americans deserve. Uh, and look, this this border issue. I, I'll say one thing that I think uh, really needs to be heard by Republican candidates across the country: the border and crime are issues that they need to be talking about more and more and more because those are the kinds of things that concern yes. independent voters. It's real. You know, look, it's you, real. you can't just rest on the laurels of bad inflation numbers and a bad economy. you got to lean into this stuff and start talking about it. And, and you have to start laying out what you will do if you take back Congress. I mean, I personally believe that Alexander Mayorkas ought to be impeached. I believe that you ought to have accountability for the levels of, of dysfunction at the Department of Homeland Security and along the border that we have seen that are unprecedented in level. Uh, and, and yet, you know, I think that unfortunately there's this whole mindset that the consultant class has in D.C. that basically says, oh, no, it's, it's fine. You know, that just, uh, just depend on how bad the current situation is economically and you'll be able to win. I think that that is, is a mistake. And I think that Republican candidates across the country need to lean into this. They need to make it a priority to send a message that there's going to be consequences for how bad things have gotten along the border. So 2024 is just around the corner. No one wants to discuss it. I get it. But when Dr. Biden, doc, do I have to say that? When the first lady, of uh, uh, Jill Biden, said this, I took note. Cut 23. Have you talked about it with him? Uh, not yet. We've been a little bit too busy. <laughs> not yet. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a discussion. Do you feel and the question was, as she talked about, is he running for re-election? We haven't talked about it. What, what does that read between the lines there? You, you know she could have answered that so easily. Yeah, Joe plans on running. And she could always, behind the scenes, she could have been absolutely not. But she didn't play the game there. Why not? 
Brian, Joe's going to run. He's going to run because they can't run Kamala. She's so bad. She's so awful. She's, I mean, a bigger question would be, you know, are you going to replace the vice president or not? I mean, she's so terrible and so unpopular. They can't, they can't shift to her. And there really is no other option. He's going to run and it's, it's, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) I wish, I wish I could say something else to you, but uh, it's, when when she says we haven't talked about it, it's because it's going to be so uncomfortable to have that conversation, and everybody knows it. Uh, it's the worst kept secret in Washington that that nobody really close to him, uh, you know, even really wanted him to run last time around. They knew that he was too old for this. They knew that he has uh, significant uh, and serious physical and health problems. And I look, I. I wish that we had better options. I wish that we had better options and younger options and people who were, you know, uh, very uh, confident and capable of working seven days a week, which is something apparently that he can't do. Um, And it's one of the things that I think is going to be so disturbing if we see, if we have to see him campaign, actually campaign. Because he got insulated from that last time. He hid in the basement. You know, he didn't have to go out there. He didn't have to do anything. Um, you know, I saw our old colleague Chris Wallace complimenting his retail politicking ability, but we certainly didn't see that last time around. And I think that this is a situation that's going to be very embarrassing for the country to have to watch, but it's going to happen because they don't have any other options, Brian. Wow, uh, that would be something. Uh, if he stepped aside, they'd have options. I mean, it would be Gavin Newsom, the Gov- uh, Governor Pritzker. You would have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's just it's it's they all have problems, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you think and you problems. think he's, this is a rematch? Trump goes too, and no one touches uh, well, him. Well, I think I think it, we have to assume it's a rematch. We have to assume it's a rematch. And look, I I would like to see the country move on to to younger people, um, to move away from from the sort of older class of folks. Uh, but the the dynamics of it, the way that it's going, the uh, the dynamics of the fact that you know the, the former president obviously now has this massive war chest. He wants a rematch. He thinks that he won last time around, and he thinks that he'll beat uh, Biden again. And uh, you know, from his perspective, uh, and I think that you know, uh, for Joe, he is the best right. of a, a bad series of options for Democrats, uh, and uh, and they do not have the ability to replace Kamala. And the Republicans so I, I do just, have the ability to replace Trump, uh, but no one's more, no one's got his um, maybe the, his popularity. It's going to be fascinating, yeah. Ben. Thanks so yeah, much. It, re- it really will. Great All to right. be with you. All right, great. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be 50 days. It's going to be a sprint. We're going to do a constant autopsy on where this election's going. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The historic factor is that a president's job approval rating is the single best predictor of how his party is going to do in the midterm elections. And here again, I was talking about democratic optimism. Joe Biden's uh, approval rating, real clear politics average, did go from a little under 37 up to about 42, almost six points. It went up. A lot of optimism among uh, Democrats, but it's still 42. And presidents who have job approval ratings below 50 percent lose a lot of seats. It has never been otherwise.
Yorks. Uh, that is Byron York, of course, and he's talking about where we stand. And that was before inflation stayed at 8.3%. That was before uh, the market dropped 1,200 points. That was before the price of goods across the board food, for the most part, up 13%, more in some places, a little less in others, from used cars to real estate. It's getting harder to buy a house because rates are going up. He's spending instead of cutting in terms of uh, in times like this in which recession looms and a fear of inflation is real. He's not doing the the economic principles of anyone. He can't say, well, you know, I'm doing uh, Keynesian economics. I'm, I'm acting like Paul Volcker. I'm, I'm acting like uh, uh, any body's done in the past. Keep, keep spending. Push a green agenda. Don't worry about inflation. Look how low job numbers are while not even discussing the fact that 11 million jobs, uh, 10.4 million jobs remain open. So that approval at 42%, I can't see it getting much better. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the show, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. Like most big cities, overrun with crime, and uh, we need more cops. Uh, they, people don't want to do it anymore. Uh, we'll discuss that. Uh, and, of course, uh, heard around the country, around the world, and we have a lot to discuss this hour. We're going to be joined by Gerard Baker to put our economy in perspective. It's now up 120 points is the Dow, but yesterday it dropped over 1,200 points. And the president had a party. It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, keep in mind, too, we're monitoring all events overseas uh, first time in 70 years there's been a vacancy on the throne, as you know. And this is the longest series of funerals I've ever seen in my life. And we're not done. It's not going to end till Monday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Have you talked about it with him? Not yet. We've been a little bit too busy. <laughs> not yet. But uh, I'm sure it'll be a discussion. Look at all Joe has done. He has kept true to what he said he would do. Scarily, maybe. Uh, 2022, 50 plus days away, and the primaries are complete. Where the red wave uh, is, is it going to crash or has it stopped? Will it continue? Jill Biden, about her husband, not knowing about re-election, it boggles your mind. Number two. Uh, we're certainly uh, doing a lot more to secure the border and could be doing even more if Republicans would stop their obstruction. Right, exactly. Republicans are obstructing you stopping the border flow. Right on the money. What a press secretary. Flat out lying is more like it. Press secretary really wants us to believe the border was worse under Trump than it is right now. Ask any Texas town, any Arizona town, New Mexico and California if they were given sodium pentothal while the president's fighting for trains. Number one. With this law, the American people won and special interests lost. Say it again. The American people won. Clueless. President takes a bow for his economy as the policies inflict pain on the people from food to utilities to energy and inflation, killing the American family, putting them under extreme stress. And the president has a party, books James Taylor's, and they sing about fire and moraine. No joke, Jack. Uh, let's bring in Barry uh, Povel. He's served as Special Assistant for Defense Policy and Strategy on the National Security Council for President George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And he is Vice President of the RAND National Security Research Division and Director of the National Defense Research Institute. Uh, Barry, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you very much. Barry, the, the direction of the war overseas and the meeting between Russia and China. First off, the momentum that Ukraine has right now. 
Do you expect it to continue as they've picked up at least uh, 1,500 square miles, some say 3,000 square miles from the Russians? Well, war is an, an inherently unpredictable endeavor, but I do think um, they have momentum on their side. It was a brilliant uh, operational plan. They're continuing to get supplies of increasingly capable uh, military equipment from uh, their their partners from NATO and the United States. Uh, so I think it is. I would expect it to continue, but um, the enemy gets a vote, uh, and so um, Russia will try to push back with the tools that it has. It'll push back in Ukraine, and it might also seek to push back in uh, in, in um, home countries of the coalition as well. So this isn't over. I think is the bottom line. Are they capable? I mean, eighty percent of their force has already been in use. Either rotated through or actually in action. They are running so fast, they're dropping their uniforms, changing civilian clothes, leaving tanks and armaments behind. That doesn't seem like an army that knows what they're doing. No, it's not. And we're, we're lucky in that regard. Uh, you know, c- corruption in dictatorships also affects military uh, performance. And so um, uh, I think we're seeing uh, one of the results of that, despite a lot of Russian uh, money going to the military. But I do think um, there are still tools that Putin can uh, turn to. He still has missile capabilities, uh, air capabilities, cyber uh, information and intelligence. Uh, so there's still things that he can do. And then, you know, th- stepping back, you know, no one's ever uh, overestimated the ability of the Russians to suffer. And so, um, the, you know, if he wants to stay in this, I, I think we should expect him to look for ways to stay in it. But it doesn't mean, and I think your point is, you know, the, the, their ground forces will take a while to uh, rearm to get smarter, to learn lessons, and to try to push back on the Ukrainians. So I don't expect that anytime soon, but I do expect uh, Putin to retaliate in other ways. So uh, we understand a group of mayors has signed a petition to remove Vladimir Putin. They no longer have his support. We know Telegram is their uh, their chief way of communicating with these pro-war uh, operatives that they have, and they are criticizing the Russian tactics. What what is? I'm not saying that he's ready to be ousted. But from from the people that you know, do you sense that he is uh, he's on really unstable footing? I'm not sure if I would call it really unstable at this point because we don't know. And he's done a lot of things domestically to make sure he's protected. You know, I was told, for example, that the security details for the other senior uh, national security ministers, their main purpose is to make sure that Vladimir Putin knows what they're doing and what they're up to. So as one example, but um, there is, you know, I think we are in some new territory here for Putin with the catastrophic losses that the Russian military is suffering with uh, sanctions continuing. So I do think um, let's continue to watch that space. Um, But uh, again, um, I I would not go so far as to say things are either unstable uh, or that he's leaving anytime soon. But you know what? These are the kinds of things that you don't you don't hear that you don't see the evidence you know until all of a sudden everything crumbles. So I think um, let's keep watching and you know we 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 don't know tomorrow morning we could wake up but it could be 2024 also. I want you to hear what Brett Velikovich says. As you know, he's a special ops uh, intelligence analyst. He works for us now, and he also went over to the Ukraine to help out there physically on the ground with the troops. He just said this, cut 35. Putin has a very major problem right now at home. He's losing leverage globally as well. They can't 
keep this propaganda wheel churning hard enough or just whistle past these recent devastating losses. It's too public now. Too many Russian citizens are learning about what's happening. They're spreading the word of these serious defeats. And so you've got Putin's dignity and pride that's in question. These, these weaknesses are being exposed. We're seeing massive manpower logistical issues, major equipment losses. The Ukrainians' battlefield is littered right now with destroyed and abandoned Russian military equipment. And right now we're starting to see even some Russian news outlets that are publicly calling for Putin's res resignation because of the damage that he's done on the world stage. So, I mean, I it threw, in April, I never thought we would hear reports like that. Did you? No, no. Again, we're in we're in some new territory here, and so we should uh, certainly keep supporting Ukraine. Uh, I, I'd like supporting them so that they can win, uh, and not just supporting them so that they don't lose. And I think that's going in a in a fantastic direction. Do you think that you uh, right do you now, think that they they do you think the administration should pick up the pace? Germany should pick up the pace. Others should fulfill their promises and quickly. Yeah, I do think time is not on necessarily on on the side of, of Ukraine. We, you know, the, the sooner this can get done, um, the sooner they can keep pressing the advantage. I, th I think that's an element that I, that I do think is useful. We, you know, when winter comes and the energy um, tool uh, comes into play geopolitically, especially in Europe, I think that's that's a somewhat more challenging proposition than what's going on right now. So let's keep. Keep pressing. Obviously, the, the capabilities and the advice are having a huge difference, uh, as, uh, of course, the Ukrainian will mm. to fight. <laughs> and uh, brilliant leadership is, is the major factor. But, no, I think uh, let's, let's keep pressing this. Let's not let up. Uh, and so I, I agree with your suggestion. Uh, Barry Pavel is with us now. He worked for the George W. Bush administration as well as President Obama's administration. Uh, Barry, what do you expect to happen when Vladimir Putin meets with President Xi tomorrow? In uh, I think it's Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan, one of them. We know about the alliance, but what if China could chip the balance by writing a big check or providing armament? Will they? So China's already writing big checks in the form of buying a ton of um, Russian oil discounted that they can't sell elsewhere, and so um, they are friends. Um, they're friends. You know, this is what autocratic dictators do. They help each other out. Uh, it, but it is a marriage of convenience until one of them decides it's no longer a useful marriage. And at this point, uh, China has a lot more leverage than Russia. Uh, Russia, you know, desperately needs uh, friends like China for lots of reasons, technology and other things. So I, I think China is going to continue to try to sort of thread the needle between not doing so much overtly that they'll suffer from uh, backlash from uh, the the coalition, the, the, the West, um, but they'll keep doing what they're doing behind the scenes. Now, I think it's underappreciated, in my view, how many challenges Xi Jinping himself is now facing. And there's not enough discussion of how much weaker uh, he might be himself because of the, China, the Chinese economy doing terribly in the second quarter, the COVID lockdowns, him strangling the tech sector, putting in party people instead of letting that flourish, protests across China on things like banking and housing. I, I just think, uh, stepping back, that they both are substantially weaker than they, than they were a year ago. Uh, that might make them both more dangerous. Uh, they might talk about that together. But I do think that, um, obviously, China is the, by far the big brother in this relationship, and they'll use this meeting to strengthen their international standing. Uh, Putin will show that he's still a respected member of the 
community, even though it's a smaller community. Uh, so they'll use this for uh, public diplomacy purposes as well. All right, uh, uh, Barry, uh, thanks so much. It's, uh, I appreciate you joining us, providing your insight, especially at uh, these perilous, uncharted times. My pleasure. one 866 I'll come back, take some calls, and then at the bottom of the hour, we'll go inside the economy. Not rhetoric, but go inside the numbers. What it really means to you uh, when you talk about core inflation, inflation, when you talk about uh, gas prices and food prices and what it means for the election. 50 days in, it's a sprint to November. Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think this was a really, actually an important day because for a month or more, the story had been rising optimism among Democrats, that they were going to do better in the midterms than they thought. Maybe they weren't going to get slaughtered. Maybe they'd even hold the Senate or maybe even the House. And the reason they thought they could do it is because they thought inflation was going to be going down. They thought they could capitalize on the abortion decision from the Supreme Court. And they thought they could make the election more about Donald Trump than they could have before his latest legal problems. And I think today was the day that inflation and the economy in general as an issue just came roaring back. And they could not ignore the fact that this is still and always has been the public's number one issue. So interesting. Uh, Byron, Byron York, you see what the difference is? With Democrats looking to find something that will resonate and demean Republicans, Republicans are trying to say, look what's happening. The border, real. Crime, real. Spending, real. Inflation, real. So they're looking to say, look at all he's done and look at all they've gotten wrong. And the party in power says, you don't want Donald Trump, do you? Uh, look at all those investigations he's having. That ultra MAGA crowd that follows up Donald Trump and, and packs arenas with Donald Trump or uh, open fields have to be terrible people. How is that a policy? Scottsdale, Arizona is where you find Jim. Hey, Jim. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind? Yeah. Uh, enjoy all your shows and books, by the way. So uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. I used to be a Republican. And two years ago, I changed to independent because Republicans are party of do nothing. Uh, we have serious issues. You've talked all about them with all your guests. And there's no coherent message other than maybe uh, Trump uh, himself uh, out there to say, hey, are we better off than we were two years ago? Here's the four issues we're talking about, and here's the solutions that that we have. And it may be time for a third party, a constitutionalist party. Where, well, Jim, Jim, hey, let's, let's just, just stay in reality. We're not going to get a third power, a party that's going to have any uh, validity. I will say this. If you don't want to vote Republican, that's fine. But I know exactly what they would do if they were in power. They immediately would finish up the wall. They'd kill, continue with the technology for it. They would pressure on the Central and South American nations to keep their populations under control. They would crack down on businesses that were hiring illegals. And right away, they would be cracking down in every way, shape, and form. Number two, they'd be bolstering police officers by changing the profile going ahead and pressuring legislatures in order to flip them in a way that's going to stop with a zero cash bail so they'd be tackling crime. When it comes to defense, I don't think anyone doubts that the Republicans would bolster defense. They do spend too much on social programs. They're afraid to cut them because they're afraid they're going to lose constituency. But a reform of some of these areas would certainly work. 
Uh, I understand people's impatience, and a lot of people want to say, the only thing I want Republicans to do is get back in power and investigate. I think that would be a mistake. And in fairness to them, Kevin McCarthy last week was ready to roll out with his version of what the the Republicans would do, but the queen died. And he feels as though any press conference he has is going to get smothered. Because if you look at our channel, I mean, every half hour we're doing something from some other, from Scotland or England or, or about the Queen. So they're waiting. Uh, what the uh, with administration will do is crack down on the border for sure. Marco Ruby is in a tough race against Val Demings. Not if you look at what her track record is. She is just because she has a... A law enforcement background doesn't mean she's pro-law enforcement. Here's Marco Rubio on the president administration and the press secretary coming out and saying, well, the previous administration broke the border. Cut 22. She said, oh, they couldn't even finish the wall. They couldn't finish the wall because Democrats wouldn't vote for the funding. They literally would not approve a, a dollar more. They called the wall a racist idea. And at the end of the day, look, it's not just the migrants that are coming across because there's the most people will just turn themselves in because they know if you turn yourself in, you're going to be allowed to stay in the country. You'll be given a work permit. You'll be told show up in 10 years or five years for your asylum hearing. And uh, but some people don't. And those are the ones you got to worry about because why aren't they turning themselves in? Exactly. Uh, And to me, the, the administration should start with crime. And my goodness, have you seen some of this footage that's out there? Do you see what's going on in Chicago? Do you know in New Orleans you wait two and a half hours for a call and most people aren't even going to show up and just take your version of how you were robbed, beaten, burglarized, or, or something worse? Same thing, with, same thing we're seeing about St. Louis. Same thing we're hearing about Chicago. And I tell you about New York, the Philadelphia numbers in proportion per capita, are worse than I think any place else in the country. Did you see Los Angeles lately? How can you, if you're an opposition party of who's ever in power, not run on that? The one thing about the president, the former president, he was getting scrutiny because he was coming down too hard on law enforcement, trying to put fed, federal troops into Seattle and to Portland to crack down on these riots. And they, they were criticizing President Trump for cracking down. Those are the good old days. Let's have the debate on who should crack down. We don't have that debate anymore. That's why this administration, it's not a hard stretch. I don't want this poll tested. Don't go to a mall and ask people to do a focus group. Just ask people, what's going on with crime? Are you worried about your kid in college? Are you worried about when you go out to a park? What about at 11 o'clock in the afternoon as we see this footage in Chicago over the weekend? And I don't know Chicago that well, but evidently a very nice area. 11 o'clock, a guy goes out to his car. And he gets assaulted by four guys with guns. He ends up, the one guy with the gun, he ends up breaking free, getting away, keeping his wallet. And he says, listen, don't do what I did. I'm military trained. I'm also mixed martial arts. I got free. Is that where we're heading as a country? If I'm running for office, big or small, um, local or national, that's what I'm starting with. I'm starting with crime. This isn't because we have ring doorbells. This is actually happening. It isn't because we have cameras in every street. Law enforcement wants it out there. And even though money is not the primary issue, find a way to make it really cool again to be a cop. And that comes with publicity. It comes with image uh, image training, great stories. We see it all the time. Market. Tell us what you're doing. No cops are perfect, but you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. Rather, I'm in uniform. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I think we would have liked to have seen the core inflation numbers uh, do better today. Uh, but it is worth noting that overall inflation has been flat for the last two months, that the rates come down, that energy prices were down near uh, 5% and gas prices down 11%. And I think, yes, there are a lot of reasons to think that core inflation will move in the right direction. Yeah, uh, that is uh, Gene Sperling trying to say the glass is half full after those Numbers came down, talking about inflation and the 1,200-point drop in the Dow and the average price of uh, food up 13%. And it looks like interest rates are heading up that direction, too. But yet the Biden administration continued to have a party saying this is a great day for inflation reduction when it's not going down and it's still intolerably high. Gerard Baker joins us now, editor-at-large of The Wall Street Journal, host of The Wall Street Journal at Large on Fridays at 7.30. Gerard, you must have lost your mind watching that party detached from reality, take place at the White House. Do they know that this is not a time to celebrate the economy on some level? Yeah, I mean, whoever's responsible for scheduling over at the White House probably, um, I'm hope is, hoping, is looking for a new job uh, today. You couldn't possibly have chosen a worse day to celebrate the Inflation Reduction Act than to pick the day when we had you know, one of the most disturbing inflation sets of inflation data we've had, not because of the headline figure, as we all know, the headline figure was downside, but because it suggested that the, the underlying inflation, which is the real problem here, you know, we know that gas prices have come down in the last few months. The underlying problem of inflation is getting dramatically worse, and the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates more aggressively, We're probably going to have a recession as a result. I mean, it really – you could not have chosen a worse day to do any and, – and the odd thing – Brian, too, the particular thing was that, you know, they kind of – they still went ahead with this celebratory message. I mean, you know, those numbers came out at 8.30 yesterday morning. You know, okay, they've got an event scheduled. They can't really change it. But they can at least kind of – you know, you have to change the script. You've got a few hours to change your script, and you can say, look, you know, okay, we're still battling inflation, but, you know, we're doing the right things or whatever. But it was like – I mean, the stuff you heard there from Biden himself, but also, you know, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you, Mr. President, for all you've done to transform the economy. I mean – you know, I, I, to me, Brian, the, 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 you know, it's one. It, this will live. That day will live on, and I hope that you know, uh, uh, Republican candidates will will take that. You know, the image of that split screen of Biden celebrating the economy with the with the Dow Jones Industrial Average at the same time falling twelve hundred points. Um, you know, its biggest fall in, uh, in in more than two years. It really was a sign of just how completely out of touch these people are. Here is the president. In case you missed it, cut two. With this law, the American people won and special interests lost. Say it again. The American people won and special interests lost. Folks, we're going to lower prescription drug costs, lower health insurance costs, lower energy costs for millions of families. I'm going to take the most aggressive action ever, ever, ever to confront the climate crisis and increase our energy security ever in the whole world. So listen, George, that's it. That second half is it. The inflation yeah. thing is a, is a head fake. Uh, we yeah. know that eggs are up 30, almost 40 percent. Coffee, 17 percent. Milk, 17 percent. Fruit and vegetables, nine. Fish, meat and, uh, and others all up. Overall, 13 percent increase inflation. Uh, we know it's uh, eight three percent. Electricity is killing people in the utility bills. If you're a paycheck to paycheck person, which I think most of our country is, this is a killer. But he cares about the agenda, doesn't he? Can you get your head around that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're absolutely everything you say there, Brian, is right. I, I, by the way, when he was saying that, he was saying the special interest loss and the American people won, and I was thinking, you know, again, who are you kidding here? The special interest, all those companies, those you know, rich companies that have been lobbying for, you know, for for, for special credits for for energy and all those, you know, all those renewable companies. You know, remember a company called Solyndra a few years ago, so solar power, solar power company that benefited from huge numbers of government subsidies. You know, that's what's that's a lot of this bill, a lot of this this act now, a lot of what's in this so-called Inflation Reduction Act is is a lot of it, it packed with goodies for you know for companies to to get credit and to spend money on on so-called uh, you know green uh, green energy. So you know it's, it, that that was that was complete fiction too. But but again, as you say, how are the American people winning? Brian and I would go further and say you know so we had the, the inflation number yesterday was eight point three percent consumer prices. Wages are rising at about an average of about five percent a year. That means that every single year, Americans are losing, are, are literally are, are seeing a three percent plus decline in their real disposable income. They are literally right. looking at. They're actually they're actually experiencing, you know, wage increases that aren't anywhere near the increase in all those goods that you've talked about. Or you didn't mention housing. We could have talked about the housing market. Mortgage rates. Uh, Brian, it hit six percent today. It's a, you know a double from where they were basically uh, just just a year or just two years ago. To, to more than double from two years ago. That's going to kill the housing market. That means that anybody trying to buy a house right now can forget it. Well, you know, almost anybody unless they you know unless they've really got lots of money. Um, those people who have houses are going to probably see a decline in their housing wealth because it looks like the housing market is going to get crushed. I don't you know again and this rhetoric about this the American people are winning is just so removed from the reality. George, what is the right recipe? So sometimes uh, things come in cycles. So, you know, we did spend a whole lot of money to the rest of the world on the pandemic. The, I know the rescue package was folly, was pure agenda. This mini build back better is horrific. So when you do spend too much and inflation goes up too much and you don't want to cause too much pain on the people, I always thought that the way out of it was to cut spending and taxes with this. But yeah. instead, all well, we have is we got to slow the American people down by making it very hard to take out to to get to use their credit card and to buy a house uh, up interest rates. So, I mean, you know, the first thing to say is, unfortunately, when inflation is as embedded as it seems to be right now, it's incredibly hard for the government or even the Federal Reserve um, to actually turn that. It's like it's like turning a tanker, around, you know, an ocean going tanker around. That's already well setting course inflation. We've been building in some ways we've been building this inflation. We've been building this, this inflationary pressures for a decade with these very loose monetary policies, these very, very loose fiscal policies that we've had. And now it's all kind of let loose. And you're not going to turn that around. Again, in you know, with with a single act, a single government act, you're not even going to turn it around, as I say, with a few interest rate, a big interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve. What's necessary, though, is one, not to spend more to add fuel to the flames, which is exactly what this administration uh, and this Congress are doing. And two, you need to start putting in place policies that are going to address the real underlying problems that are creating this inflation. One of those is the fiscal position, exactly as you say. And and we're going to have we've, we've got an incredibly lax fiscal position, despite this claim that you know this, this 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 Inflation Reduction Act is going to reduce the deficit. It doesn't start doing that for five years, in effect. So it's the second half of the ten-year uh, outlook is when 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 the deficit starts coming down. That's way too late. We need to do much more to get the deficit under control. And secondly, Brian, we need to do much more to to stimulate. And domestic energy production. You know, we, the, the Wall Street Journal had a good story last week, pointing out that the, the Biden administration has, has given fewer leases for 
um, for domestic uh, energy production than any any administration in history in, you know, in the last 50 years. That's a deliberate policy. They want, you know, they, you know, this whole thing about green energy. They want to basically shut down as much as they can of domestic fossil fuel production, fossil fuel energy production, and and they want to encourage with these big fat um, subsidies and credits uh, renewables. Now, again, I'm that's fine in the long term. Renewables are great in the long term, and there's there's you know there's there's a possibility to replace some of our energy um, needs with renewables. Great, and we should do that. But in the immediate term, we, the United States is still sitting on, you know, a reservoir of natural gas, uh, huge quantities of, 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 of oil. There are ways in which that can be extracted cheaply um, and without doing and, – and we're now much cleaner. We do much less damage to the environment. And yet the Biden administration is ideologically opposed to that. That would help bring down the cost. That would set the stage for a, for a long-term reduction in energy costs, which is a large part of what people are suffering from right now with these huge increases in prices. Gerard Baker is with us now. You know his show on Fridays. You know he's editor at the editor-large of Wall Street Journal. So Joe Manchin cut this deal to, to enable this spending to take place, but it looks like he's got no deal. Gerard, the, there's nobody in the, the House is not going to go for his fossil fuel push, his loosening up of leases and regulations around it, his carbon capture that allows coal to flourish in West Virginia. He is desperate. He finds himself with a handshake deal with Sir Chuck Schumer, yeah. which is, seems to be worthless. Here's Manchin yesterday. Cut nine. Put your politics aside. If you're mad at me or whatever, take me out of this equation. The bottom line is you have a piece of legislation in front of you that's been passed. Permitting is something we've always tried to do, all of us together. And I've been there with you. And why can't we look at that? We got a chance, and it'll, ha- it'll never happen again. Not in the next decade, maybe not in my lifetime. They'll ever get a chance to pass permitting. Because usually Democrats have not supported permitting reform. This is one time they benefit by it and they see it, but still yet there are some. There are some reluctant, no matter any situation, to do anything that looks like it might help Fossil. So he wants Republicans to bail him out in the House, and he needs 10 votes, maybe 11 in the Senate. Where's this at? That's not going to happen. I mean, look, he got um, the, the handshake deal, as you say, he did with Chuck Schumer. Reminds me of that old joke about, you know, when you do a deal with someone and the outcome of the deal is the way it works is what's mine, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. I mean, he got nothing from that deal. And by the way, Brian, he's politically suffering from it. I think there was a poll recently showing him 30, 40 points underwater now uh, in West Virginia. That's why he's desperate for, for uh, you know, for, for, for them to give him anything, to get anything from somebody. No, of course, you know, he, he you know, he, he, he created that, that, those circumstances himself, having told us again and again and again, you know, he didn't want to do uh, a big infrastructure deal, uh, sorry, a big, uh, a big green energy deal. He didn't want to do this so-called build back better, you know, and then he signs up to this, um, this slim down version, supposedly on, on the understanding that he's going to get, you know, he's going to get some favorable treatment for, for energy production in West Virginia. And surprise, surprise, he's not going to get that. And so why on earth would Republicans bail him out now? Because the Democrats now having, having, you know, and again, he really, as you well know, he kind of blindsided um, Mitch McConnell um, when he did that deal with Chuck Schumer back in August to get this uh, to get to get back in the summer to get this to get this bill through. Why on earth would they bail him out? And what what interest do they possibly have in seeing him, you know, in helping him in West Virginia, where he is, as I say, now becoming very unpopular? Right. Yeah. I, I just wish people understood 
that going to fossil fuels right now is something in our national security interest. It's not in anybody's political interest. At the same time, moving forward with any innovations and renewables that you might be able to put together, you and I would be the first online. If you could, you could provide the infrastructure available for an electric car that's going to save me money and be responsible for the environment, I'll do it. But instead, you're going to give me $7,500 to buy a car I don't want to get actually yeah. refueled in a state that can't do it. So are you kidding yeah, right. me? And Brian, I'll just say also too that one of the reasons that actually fossil, the, 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 the renewables at the moment are look relatively are, are, are I was going to say relatively attractive or at least at least are affordable in terms of their costs is because fossil fuel costs have, have been driven so high. I mean, when oil is over a hundred dollars a uh, hundred dollars a barrel, it's just below that right now. But when it's been, it's been over a hundred dollars a barrel, then that actually makes the cost of wind power and solar power for all the problems that they have it makes them relatively more attractive. If if we were actually um, producing as we could produce much more um, much more fossil fuel energy, those prices would come down. If the world were producing more of that, if there were less disruptions in global supply, we'd, that price would come down. That would make natural gas and oil much more affordable compared with very very expensive uh, renewable production. So, you know, we shouldn't also. I think misunderstand this here that part of the plan here, part of the long-term plan of these of the green energy people who know that their fuel, that their their ideal for fuel is actually very very expensive, very very costly to produce, is to make it look more attractive by um, by pushing up the price of fossil fuels. And, and I'll say one one other thing, Brian is, is nuclear nuclear power too. We you know that's something the world crazily has kind of turned its back on. That's a tremendously clean energy source which could provide much of our energy needs over the future. But again, these crazy Easy greens. Uh, no, no, no. They don't want. They, you know, they're, they're opposed to nuclear power too because they have this ideological commitment to to these renewables like solar and wind, which, as I say, are basically very expensive. George, who do you have in your show Friday? Do you know yet? Uh, we've got a couple. We've got a couple. Of, we're still figuring out. We've got to, we're going to be talking about these numbers, these inflation numbers, with a couple of uh, with, a, with, a, with a couple of uh, uh, commentators. I think um, it should be it should be good to say we're still figuring out. But we'll talk about inflation. We'll talk about the economy. We'll talk about the uh, we'll talk we'll talk about the political climate and coming up to twenty uh, to the twenty twenty two midterms. Is this going to change? Does the, the inflation number change that? So. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. It should be a good discussion. Absolutely. As usual, uh, you can catch it at 7.30 on FBN. Uh, Gerard, thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, listen, when we come back, uh, we'll find out if there's more to know and find out what's on your mind. Can we do both? I'll challenge myself. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. I don't know if you heard, but the Queen died. Uh, so we have a king. Uh, king Charles III. He was Prince Charles III. Seems like the same guy. We don't know what they're really like behind the scenes because everything's so formal. But we're getting a, a little idea of, it seems like Prince now turned king's a little bit of a temper. wants everything to go right. Here he is signing a, a document, making himself, I don't know, making sure the queen's dead and making sure he takes over. And he's upset about his pen. He also writes down the wrong date. Listen to this. Caught on mic. Clearly, he didn't think so. It's September 12th. 13th, sir. Oh, God, the wrong date. 13th. Yes, sir. You signed the 12th, earlier. We didn't the 12th. We signed the 10th. Oh, God, I hate this. Everybody's going everywhere. Hang on. Is anybody got a 
<laughs> so he was in Scotland about to sign something, making it official that his mom's dead uh, in Northern Ireland. And he, the pen doesn't work. He writes it on the wrong date. And he says, you bloody pen. Uh, he grew visibly frustrated. Is it September 12th? Is it September 12th? Uh, despite the fact that a calendar with the date on it was right in front of him, when it was told it was his 13th, he goes, oh, God, I put the wrong date down. I guess he can't be king. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. I assume that's yes, because Pete gave me some stuff. Ken Starr, he was a great friend of the show. He actually hosted me for Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, put together a great event in Texas. Used to run Baylor, used to run Pepperdine. Uh, He prosecuted uh, Clinton over Whitewater. Uh, He has passed away at the age of 76. Uh, It looks like they had surgery and went awry, never was able to recover. Uh, He leaves nine grandchildren, a wife of over 50 years. He was a great guy and a brilliant mind, just a wonderful person. Next, NBC Sunday Night Football continues to grow and improve its medal. Uh, guess what? They got 25 million viewers on Sunday night to watch the Cowboys lose. Couple of the last Thursday's game, the Buffalo Bills against the Los Angeles Rams got 23 million. Nothing's like the NFL. On CBS, they kicked off. They got 17 million. So Nielsen ratings said it was up 21%. Fox Sports did great with Alabama, Texas. They got about... Up 32%. They're up to $10.6 million. What a great game that was. Uh, Alabama wins. Uh, and uh, ESPN College Football was up $4.5 million. Even the WNBA was up a little bit. They got five, $872,000 uh, instead of the 555000 So they're up 18%. People want to see a break and no more kneeling. So it's kind of good, right, Pete? Keep the politics out of it. Just entertain us. And yes, fans. sing along with the national ask. anthem. Yeah. That's all we have. Always. Next. Uh, baseball legend Ty Cobb's dentures are auctioned off for $18,000. Uh, of course, Eric had to go into his savings account to do it. But, Eric, you're glad you did, right? Of course. It was expensive, but it was worth it. Right. And remember, uh, he was very good at baseball. Every time you look at his teeth, what's left of him? The bidder shelled out $18,000 for the legend, who is a uh, a bit of racially intolerant, so to speak. Um, so I'm not sure what kind of shape they're in. They're the upper and lower dentures. Uh, they come with Cobb's original plaster denture holder and brass opening device. So Cobb was born in 1886. So these must be smell great. <laughs> From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.